Have you been able to tap into your students' interests? How about if you've had a student who's expressed to you, I just don't feel like I'm creative. How do you handle those situations? In my conversation with Batsheva, we explore how we might engage, challenge those beliefs about students and really how to tap into their interests. I'm so excited to share this interview with you from Batsheva, who is one of the most experienced educators I've had the pleasure to speak to. Her experience, her ideas around authentic learning and authentic assessments is really exciting and I hope you learn as much as I did from her ideas. to the podcast Education Unimagined, where we give students an opportunity to share their voice in a system where often their voice is unheard. I ask them to share their experience and advice on how we can improve the experience for everyone. Bacheva, I'm so grateful to have you on my podcast now after being the opener into this new world for me a year and a half ago when you read my post on being poodles. I'd love for you to give us some information about what you are currently doing. Thank you. I really enjoyed having you on my show. That was really special and I'm glad we were able to connect again. So I'm Bacheva Frankel. I have many foci of what I do but I'm really pushing hard into helping schools with dealing with chat, GPT, AI situation in really positive and exciting ways and trying to keep them ahead of the curve and not behind the curve on that. Could you define what you believe to be student voice and what does student voice look like to you specifically? That's a good question. I think it's twofold. So there's the idea of who the student is and allowing them to express themselves either as individuals or as groups, their cultural identities, their beliefs, their opinions, just the way they look at the world, who they are, what their passions are, what their interests are, and so forth. And the second part of it is working with them and allowing them to express that in all the work and all the learning and giving them voice in their own education, having them participate in their own education and understand what it's all about and what it means instead of dictating their education to them, facilitating it with them and focusing on their interests and their passions and bringing that into the classroom to make learning relevant for them. I want to dive into the work that you're doing with the chat GPT, because I think that really does tie into student voice. So in your series on your podcast, Overthrowing Education, you've been talking to various experts in different places about the chat GPT. Tell me some of the things that you've learned about how we could use that to elevate student voice. Well, specifically, it can be used to actually power students as old time educators. We think, is it going to be cheating? But it's here to stay and it can be used for the positive and it can help students in so many ways. Just how teachers use it to craft their lessons use it as examples and as a tool in the same way that Google is a tool. We should have been actually students all along how to use that responsibly and and successfully, which many, many schools do not do. Most kids, 
I always like, why are you doing that search? Do you not know how to do a Google search? I would teach the kids how to do that. So it's the same thing. It's incorporating it into the lessons in a fun and productive way that will empower the students instead of them feeling like they have to, it's a cheat or something. I know that authentic assessments, that's really important to you. How do you use student voice when you are creating authentic assessments? What came first for you, the validation that student voice wasn't part of authentic assessments when we were giving the traditional pen and paper test and how you sort of shifted into knowing how to use an authentic assessment? So that's, it's such a good question. And I think one of the issues, and it took me many, many years to, to figure this out, but tests and quizzes have no student voice and choice, basically. As the teacher, I'm telling you what you need to know, and you need to spit it back out to me. And if it's a really good test, then maybe you are doing it in a more interesting way. So I think a weird advantage that I had when I started teaching 25 years ago was that I did not have an educational background. I was a drama major at NYU. I worked in the film industry. Creativity was my jam. And so my whole approach to education was very creative and about giving choices. I didn't even know what the word assessment meant, honestly. I knew there were tests. I was just naturally creating all of these creative assessments where I could tell that what the kids were doing. And once I had more background and more education and my master's, I was able to see the philosophy and develop a philosophy behind it. But it was because I saw how it worked. Can I give you two examples? So two very different examples. One of them was an assignment that I, I was doing a final, you can't see my air quotes, but there's air quotes, about on Macbeth. And basically I gave students this huge array of creative choices that they could do to express everything that we studied and what they know and what they learned about Macbeth. I got some amazing, really interesting works of art, performances. There were all kinds of songs, everything. So many really cool things. But one student came up to me, she was crying and she said, I don't know what to do. I'm not creative. And you've given all these creative choices, but I'm not creative. What am I supposed to do? And she was so upset. And I said, well, let me ask you, what are you really interested in? What do you want to do with your life? And she said, I want to be a social worker, like a marriage family counselor. I said, great. I said, do you think the Macbeths had a great marriage? And she said, no, it was horrible. And I said, well, why don't you be their marriage counselor and tell me about the sessions that you know, you go through as you go through the play, what were your sessions like? She can't, she had the biggest smile, as creative as everybody else was. Hers was spectacular. She handed it to me as a file study. She made it look like those were her files and she, she typed it out. She did everything so that it looked like a real case study and she, I knew she knew everything about that play from the plot and the characters and the relationships. To me, it was a genius. And I told her, this is one of the most creative things I've ever seen. She was thrilled because we always think creativity means that it has to be music or art or performance or something. And it doesn't. And that's what I mean by an authentic assessment, because for her, that was really meaningful. It was very personal and giving students the chance to do those kinds of things. So that's one idea is just trying to work with students to find that authentic way to let you know that they know. The other thing is I was doing Midsummer Night's Dream. I know it sounds like all I do is Shakespeare. I really do a lot of other things too, <laughs> but I do a lot of Shakespeare. So I was doing Midsummer Night's Dream and one year the 
kids in my class loved like production and film and acting and performance. They loved it. So they created a talk show and on the talk show, one of them was the host and they would bring on the characters and we made it sort of like Jerry Springer talk shows where the tension and everything was incited so that there was like and stuff and everybody else were different characters in the play and they would bring them on and have a talk about it and then they also did commercials for like products that had to do with the play right it was genius and they had such a great time doing it but I also let me know they all worked together in collaboration which I think is really great I could see that they all knew what was going on but the next year I had planned, oh, I'll do that. But that's not who they were at all. My class, I don't know how it happened, but they were all really into the Great British Bake Show just started because the idea that I had then was that they had the, the Midsummer Night's Dreamy Dessert Challenge. They had to create a dessert based completely on the play. Then they could pick a specific part of it for that dessert. But then in the description of how to create this recipe, they had to incorporate what they knew about the play and the whole plot and the characters and everything. And they actually baked it and presented it. I picked a panel of one student that was not in the class and two teachers that was going to be the judges. And the students had to not only present their dessert, but they had to give a talk about it. What this dessert was, explain it so that I could tell, did they understand this play? Did they understand the relationships? You know, and meanwhile, all the judges got a delicious treat. <laughs> so they had such a fun time doing it because it meant something to them. And I've talked to some of those students years later and they tell me they remember Midsummer Night's Dream because they remember, oh, I remember when we did the dessert challenge. What you really hit on at that very end is that it's memorable for kids. Do you think these experiences are so memorable to students because they're so few and far between? Or do you think they're so memorable because they really tap into what the kids want to. I actually think that if a teacher's only doing it once in an entire semester, then yes, the answer is they remember it because it stands out as something really special that they remember. But I know there's a lot of teachers like myself who this is how we roll all year round. This is how we roll. They remember stuff. I mean, I have students, they're now in their 30s. <laughs> And they still come up to me when they see me and say, ah, oh, do you remember that thing we did? When you're doing something that you can share with the other students as an assessment, then not only does it show me what they know, but it reinforces the knowledge to everybody else who is experiencing it in any way. The other thing that came to mind as you were talking about how pen and paper tests and quizzes, that's really not reinforcing what kids know to each other. And in life, it's really about sharing and collaborating. And I love it when I often do assessments where they have to work together, because that way, if one or two of the students didn't really get it, they will understand it as they're all working together. That's the other thing I do, by the way, in terms of student voice and choice, I will give students a choice of, do you want to work with a partner, a group by yourself? Some students just thrive by themselves. And sometimes they need a little push in other areas and other activities to try to learn how to collaborate. It's such an important skill. They have to learn how to do that's real life. But if we're not grading, like per se, if we're doing feedback, then that takes the pressure off of that whole thing of that kid's not pulling their way. That person's doing everything. Let's work with that person because they always get an A and we can slough off. And then that person who always you know, does that A work, gets mad because someone else isn't pulling their weight. 
That's not collaboration. In the work world, when, when people collaborate, it's for the success of everybody, right? And they're not gr- being graded on it. When we take the grades off the table, then we really allow students to learn and collaborate together and learn the material because that's how they learn how to master the material. They help each other. It's more effective in terms of when you take grades out of the equation, it's no longer competitive. It's like you said, I want you to learn it as much as I want me to learn it. Exactly. When one wins, we all win. So what advice would you offer an educator in how they might shift from the role of ineffective assessments into authentic assessments? Sometimes it's baby steps. And the truth is, even though I was doing this early on, I often gave tests because that's what I thought I was supposed to do or I was told I had to do. But I remember particularly the tests I gave were so funny and fun and they were very different. Students still had to take the information and synthesize it with other information in order to be able to do it. I didn't do very much like spit back and answer thing. And on the times that I did do it, I look back at that and I really regret it. And I think, wow, I wish I could have done that differently. But I do remember a lot of my early tests were very fun to do and, but also really interesting. Like they told me much more and they did offer some creativity for students as well. It's hard to chuck everything you've done and then just start over. But even if you have to do a test, take a couple questions and make them more interesting where they really have to utilize the information in a more authentic or interesting or creative way. Slowly, slowly, even to do activities that are really basically formative assessments. If people do enough formative assessments, there's not a lot of summative assessment they really need to do. Because we have to remember the point of it isn't to put a grade in a book. It's to give students an opportunity to show us what they know so that we can understand where they're at and move forward. That's really the bottom line for what they should be for. The thing that keeps coming up for me and is something that seems so simple, is it really just giving choice to students that allows them to have an opportunity to use their voice? Do you think it's that simple where if we just offer them options and give them choices? Is that a simple way to sort of start to build student voice into our classrooms? Yes it's not the only way. There's lots of other things that they can be doing and should be doing, but that's a good starter place for it. And whenever I give choices, I always give that last choice, which is if you have another idea, come pitch it to me. If you can convince me that it will tell me what I need to know, then I'll okay it. If you could wave a magic wand, is there something in the system that you think is kind of holding back student voice and authentic learning in education? Is there something that we could change that would open up an avenue for more people to see these opportunities of student voice and authentic learning? Yeah. I don't know if it's a one thing, but if if it's a magic wand, then can I do a lot of things? <laughs> the first thing is to get people unstuck in this paradigm of what education is, to help people see how much more it can be and how stifling our current system is for so many students. I've been able to see some amazing, creative, fantastic teachers. But unfortunately, I've also seen the teachers who are so stuck in what they're teaching. It doesn't matter who their students are. They're not teaching to the students, they're teaching the curriculum. So I think one of the things that I would say is teach whatever it is you're teaching, teach it to the students who are there. 
who are different than the ones you had the year before, or even in the next period. They're different. And it is more challenging for a teacher to not do the same thing they've done for the last 24 years or whatever. Yes, that means one has to actually work in a different way, but it's also very exciting and the payoff is way more. So that's probably the first thing I would say is just this whole paradigm of what school is and how do we do it is so antiquated as you know. So I, that would be a huge thing. And part and parcel that goes back to my thing about grades, grades and tests and the way we assess students and the way we label them with numbers and letters. To me, that stifles student voice completely, even for like the quote unquote A students, right? I mean, it's it's dangerous all around. I wish I had been given the freedom or the knowledge that it is okay to try something new and it is not going to be perfect that first time. And that high achieving student is also that high achieving teacher who wants everything to be perfect and feels stuck. Like, I know this worked. Why isn't it working now? It goes back to two things you said. One, that kids are not the same, even from class to class, year to year. And I loved when you talked about your it didn't work in the second year. So you changed it and you used something else. Same learning is being demonstrated, but it was being demonstrated in two different ways. And I think hearing that it's okay to change something is probably the piece that a lot of us are missing. I think you're so right. 100% that ability to just say exactly like you're saying, this isn't working. I've done that in the middle of a class before. <laughs> I said, this isn't really working, is it? And they're like, nope. <laughs> and then I have to change tactics. But I was thinking about another year where I spend so much time with this incredible creative activities were amazingly creative in my assessments and the students loved it and it was great. And the next year, the students weren't into it at all. The way they wanted to learn is for me to sit down with them and go through everything with them with discussion. They just wanted to have like a really great deep discussion about it. We sat around round tables, this one big group. I just sat down with them and that's how they wanted to. They didn't connect with the other stuff that I was doing, even though the year before they totally connected and loved it. So it is that sense of exactly what you're saying to say, this isn't working. It's okay. I just need to find a different way that these students will connect with the material. And sometimes that's a lot of trial and error, but that's the other thing I, part of student voice and choice is allowing them to be part of the educational experience because you can discuss it with your students and learn that about your students. What is the way they learn best? And that's challenging if you have a class of 30 kids and they each have a different learning style, which is why stations are amazing for that. But I think it's really important to do exactly what you said, just be able to say this didn't work and to be comfortable to try new things. And even if it didn't work for one year, it doesn't mean it won't work the next year. It's a matter of just adjusting. And sometimes the adjustments are small and sometimes they're large. There's just need to be really comfortable with growth. That actually leads me to the wrap up question. But also, there's a layer in there. I was talking to Shane Lawrence about being comfortable enough to be willing to say, uh, this isn't working. What do you think we need in our teacher preparation, education classes to help new teachers come in and recognize that student voice is really valuable? But also how do we empower 
brand new teachers to feel okay with giving student voice and not feeling like I have to be totally in control. Shane used the description of holding my hand in a fist versus opening my hand up. Where do you think we shift our teacher preparation in helping new teachers come in with that confidence and comfortability in engaging and empowering. I love that question. But before I answer that question, I just want to say I love Shane Lawrence. I loved his old podcast, The Ed Podcast, which people can still find. And I also plug in the the one he joined with Neely, the Unprofessional Development Podcast, which I also loved. Okay. (laughs) Now that I've done that little, little brief commercial, I think, yeah, I think it's so important to start it at that level of the education level of these teachers for their training. Wouldn't it be amazing if they had a whole course on how to give student voice and choice, how to think creatively, how to think out of the box. Wouldn't it be amazing if they had a whole course on creative and authentic assessments? Or I also have have a methodology called lenses of questioning that it teaches teachers how to ask a wider variety of questions to meet more students. But more importantly, teaches the teachers how to train the students to ask a wider variety of questions. Because giving students the power of questions, that's real student voice there and honoring those questions and really training them for how to ask the widest variety of questions. It's also a very fun method. But the point is modeling that. I had a whole class in my master's about experiential learning and project-based learning, all of these really cool things. And it was a total lecture class. I was like, you're lecturing us about why not to do frontal lectures with PowerPoints. When I do workshops, I model everything that I'm doing in the workshop. And it's the same thing with classes and courses. If they're going to be teaching about student voice and choice, which they should be, then the class itself needs to be modeled on that. Thing that's being taught really needs to be modeled. And for new teachers, obviously, the magic thing would be that their administration really supported them and that they had a mentor. I mean, those first years, and I had no mentor. It was so hard. That first year was, oh my goodness. Having a mentor, it's different now too. There are wonderful books out there. There's so many incredible books out there. I highly can recommend for new teachers. There's great podcasts out there for new teachers. Sam Fesich has one and Edgy Magic. There's a lot of different resources out there that were definitely not here 25 years ago when I was starting out. So a new teacher really just dig in. There's so many amazing resources. So even if they're not getting it in their schools, that support or a mentor like that, there's so many other places to get it now, which is really exciting. Now is the time for you to tell us how my listeners, if they are interested in connecting with you, maybe to do some of the professional development or to listen to your podcast, what and how can we connect with you? Thank you. I would be happy to do that. (laughs) Anybody can connect with me. My business is called New Lens Ed with a period. So I'm at Batsheva at New Lens Ed. My podcast is Overthrowing Education, and I invite everybody to listen to it and participate. It can also be reached at Batsheva at overthrowingeducation.com. And I Twitter at Overthrowing Ed and also Batsheva Frankel at Batsheva Frankel. I'm so happy to talk to anybody about whatever they want to know. I can help with I'm really happy to do that. Yeah, I would encourage lots of people to listen to your podcast. It's one of my favorite Ed podcasts. And I will be sure to put all of your connections into my show notes. And I really want to just thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lorraine. I love chatting with you. 
Awesome. As always. Thank you for listening to another episode of Education Unimagined. I am asking if you would please share this episode or another episode with someone you think would really enjoy it. Thanks again to Batsheva for engaging in this wonderful conversation. I want to share an analogy about a basketball team. If you are creating a basketball team, the likelihood that you are going to stack your team with natural basketball athletes is pretty slim. You know, as a coach, that you have to train athletes to become better athletes. You have to coach them. You have to guide them. Leadership is the same thing. We have to train leaders. We have to guide leaders. We have to coach leaders. And if you or somebody you know is someone who could use some of those leadership trainings, I have a great program for you. It's called the Leadership Academy. And if you search peers, not fears, you will come across my Leadership Academy. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast Unimagine for all the amazing upcoming interviews that I have on the slate. The theme music for this podcast, Unimagined, was written and produced by another fellow educator, Keith McClendon. 